Great morning, beautiful people. Great Friday morning. Yeah, Friday morning. Big Head Little Boy podcast. We in full effect, man. And where our aim is to take you back to that Big Head Little Boy in you. In other words, take you back to the person you were as a child when you believe, like Kevin Hart said, anything is possible. <laughs> but, but I want to take you back to that point of your life when you absolutely believe that you could accomplish all of your dreams. Amen. And that's, that is our goal of the Big Head Little Boy podcast. But this morning, I want to wrap to you a little bit about God's redemptive plan and ask you, why are you not using it? God had a redemptive plan for humanity the moment Adam fell in the garden. The moment he he sinned, the moment he felt the separation from God, God already had a redemptive plan in place. And it was actually in place before he created Adam. That's why he said that he Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth. Because God already had a plan in place in case people fell and felt separated from God. Adam fell, felt separated from God. And because he did, God enacted that plan so that one day that we could regain that closeness to God. And, and I want to take it a little bit deep this morning, but I got a feeling you all will follow me. You know how sometimes you can get ashamed? <laughs> you can feel ashamed because of things that you've done, and you can feel so ashamed that you don't even want to pray because you want to hide yourself from God. Let's take that to the Garden of Eve. Once Adam and Eve fell, they hid themselves. They tried to hide with uh, those little leaves they put over their private parts. And they also hid in the garden. And this is one part of the Bible that it actually took me some time to understand because it says that after they their eyes were open and they knew who they were, they knew that they were naked, right? That they hid in the garden and then God came walking through the garden. And he asked, where are thou? That took me a little while to grasp that because I'm like, he's God. Why is God asking where somebody is? I'm pretty sure he knew where Adam was. He's God. You know what I'm saying? But when I really got to the understanding of the cross and what happened at the cross, I understand the penalty and the shame of sin. I knew that it was not about God not knowing where Adam was. It was about Adam knowing who he was. It was not about God not knowing where Adam was. It's about Adam knowing who he was. So when he asked Adam, where are you? He was pretty much asking Adam, where are you in your mind? Where are you in your mind? Who do you think you are? What, what do you think that you've done so bad that you believe that you can hide from me? You know what I'm saying? And this is what happens to a lot of us because we get to a place where we, we mess up so bad that we actually think we can hide from God. And we hide by, by saying, I, I ain't even going to pray today, man. I, I can't even pray because I done messed up so bad. Or, or maybe this one right here. You know, know how it is when you promise God you ain't going to ever do something no more? God, I promise you I ain't going to do that no more. And then you have a moment of weakness and you do it. And so now you don't even go to church for the next three weeks. <laughs> you don't pray. You don't, you don't open your Bible. You don't do anything because you are hiding from God. And God being a gentleman, God ain't going to force himself on anybody. That's behold, I stand at the door and I knock. So being a gentleman, he's not going to force himself on anybody. He simply do you the same way he did Adam. Where art thou? Not that he don't know where you at, but he wants to know where you are in your mind, where you are in your thinking. Who, who, who do you think I am, God, your father, that I would just cast you away, throw you away for that one little mistake? So God had a redemptive plan ever since he asked Adam, where are you? And that redemptive plan was in the body of his son, Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people don't really understand what it means by 
he became sin. You know what I'm saying? He was bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions because he actually became sin when he was on the cross. Not that he took on all the sins, but he became sin. And because he became sin, he took sin into the pit. You know what I'm saying? And when he took sin into the pit. Now, when we say sin, I, I don't want you to feel like, oh, I'm a sinner and I'm this and I'm that because we're all sinners saved by grace. But sin is not necessarily a bad word. When you get to the root of it, sin is just against the nature of God. Anything that's against the nature of God. Um, when Jesus, when, when Jesus came upon a fig tree and the fig tree was not producing any figs, he pretty much told it to die. He made the fig tree die. Why? Because the fig tree was actually sinning against nature. The nature of the fig, fig tree was to produce figs. So because it wasn't producing figs, the fig tree was sinning. It, it had no purpose. So sin is just going against the nature of creation. Everything in creation, the way God created it, is supposed to produce it's supposed to it's supposed to have some kind of a repercussion that's positive. You know, God created us to breathe out carbon dioxide, right? We have a reciprocating relationship with, with trees. The trees take in carbon dioxide and they give out oxygen. So there's a reciprocating relationship. So everything in God's nature, everything that he created has a reciprocating relationship with something else in nature. And if you go against that, that's what sin is. That's all sin is. Sin is going against the nature of creation. So let's get that out of the way. So God had a redemptive plan for those of us who sin and we feel so far away from God. That redemptive plan was to make his son sin, to make his son all of the sins of the entire world and that's exactly what he did on the cross he took on all the sins of the entire world and i taught this in church sunday but you have to understand the parasitic nature of sin sin is a parasite in other words it needs a host in order to live there can be no sin unless it has a host sin cannot just exist by itself it exists through somebody who's committing the sin so sin is a parasite. Parasite is something that has to feed on another organism for it to be able to live. So because sin is parasitic, like a tick on a dog, right? As long as the dog lives, the tick lives. As long as the host lives, the parasite lives. So when Jesus took on all the sins of the entire world, that means all of the sins were attached to Jesus and they had life because he gave them life. While he was on the cross, he was given every sin life. That's everything. Everything that you can think of that's sinful nature. Everything you can think of. Do you know that worrying is a sin? Because it goes against the nature of God. So all of your worries, your troubles, um, depression, anxiety, fear, all of these things, they were all attached to Jesus like a bunch of ticks while he was on the cross. He became sin. Now, being that he's God, he understood that the way to stomp out or kill a parasite is to kill the host. Because remember what we said, as long as the host lives, the parasite lives. So because he had all this sin attached to him, he realized that the only way to kill this sin is I got to die. I got to die. And, and what's so crazy is because Jesus always taught in parables. This is a part of the plan that really threw Satan for a loop because Satan had a plan to kill him. 
he had a plan to take him out, but he didn't have a plan for plan B. <laughs> and, and Jesus actually gave them plan B. He told, he told the enemy what he was going to do. He told them exactly what he was going to do, but because he spoke it in a parable, they didn't understand it. And what was that parable? He said, if you tear down this temple, I'll raise it again in three days. Now, it, it was so mind-blowing that he even had to take his own disciples in the back room and explain to them, look, man, I ain't talking about the temple. I'm talking about this body. If they kill me in three days, I'll raise again. But the people who, who, would, who would later uh, sought out to kill him, they thought he was talking about the actual temple. They're going to tell them, how you going to re? It took hundreds of years to build this temple. How are you going to rebuild it in, in three days? But they did not understand the parable. And, and so what Jesus actually did was he spoke in logic to the crowd because Satan is logical. You know what I mean? But we are not logical. We walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes faith makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes faith has absolutely no logic to it. Sometimes faith will say, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I know you're going to do it. So, so what Jesus actually did was he spoke logical to the crowd because he knew that the crowd was filled with enemies. But he took his, his ace boom coons behind closed doors, his closest few, and he spoke faith. Spoke logic to the crowd, but he spoke faith behind closed doors. So you got to understand, too, who to speak faith to. You can't speak faith talk in front of everybody because everybody ain't for you. And this is the main reason that Jesus spoke in parables. The Bible teaches us that he did it so that he could teach lessons to the ones who truly followed him and loved him, but so he could confuse his enemies. So you got to learn how to cold talk as well. You got to learn how to cold talk as well. Learn how to say it right in front of people, but, but have it said in a way that in which your enemies and the ones who are against God don't even know what you're talking about. So you speak that logic, but you find your few. Your, your, your faithful few, those ones that are going to rock with you, those ones that are going to encourage you, the, the ones that are going to push you to your destiny. These are the ones that you speak faith in front of. These are the ones that you tell what God has laid on your heart. These are the ones that you, you tell about your dreams and your ambitions because you know that all they're going to do is fertilize it. All they're going to do is fuel it. All they're going to do is push you towards it. But the ones, the other ones, you, you, you speak logic in front of them. <laughs> it ain't for them to believe. But, God's redemptive plan was to make his son become sin. And once his son became sin, his son realized that the only way I can destroy this sin is I have to die. So he gave up the ghost. But that wasn't the end. He took the sin down into the grave. He took it down into the pit and he chained it up. Tied it up. And he left it down there. And imagine this. He took on all the sins of the entire world. Every last one, every last mistake, every last fit of anger, every last time somebody has done something that they really didn't mean. You know, there's so many people behind jail cells right now for one mistake. They're locked up for the rest of their lives for one mistake. Everybody in jail ain't a criminal. Some people in there only made one mistake. But guess what? He took all of that down there with him. He took it all into the pit with him. But the beautiful thing was he got up and he left it there. This was the redemptive plan of God that was laid out before the foundation of the world to teach you that no matter what you've done, you can get up. No matter how bad the mistake was that you made, you can be resurrected. You can come back from this. 
He took on the sins of the entire world and only stayed down for three days. So why is it that that one mistake has had you down for 10 years? Why is it that that one mistake has had you down for 15, for 20 years? Why is it that not only things that we've done, but something somebody else has done to you? That molestation, that molestation by an uncle or a cousin, that 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 husband or wife that cheated on you years ago, that thing that you went through that's so terrible that you still hold on it to hold on to it till this day. Why is it that it still has you in the pit when he took on all of that and got up in three days? You can come back from anything as long as you still have breath in your body. That redemptive plan applies to you. Give it to him. Throw it to the, to the cross. Realize that he carried it all for you. He took it all on his body for you. He buried it himself with it so that he can bind it and come back, come back without it. My brothers and my sisters, it is time for you to come back. It is time for you to lay aside those feelings of inadequacy. It is time for you to lay aside all those feelings of you're not good enough. All those feelings of God will never forgive me. All those feelings of what would they think if I do this because of who I used to be. It's time to put all of that aside for what he did for us. He gave us the perfect example of God's redemptive plan to let us know that we can come back from anything. Stop being bound by yesterday's mistakes because in all actuality, yesterday doesn't even exist. Can you go back to it? Can you roll your clock back even 30 seconds? Yesterday doesn't even exist. And the future is uncertain. The only time that exists is right now. Sunday morning. That great getting up morning. When he got up with all power in the palm of his hands. You woke up this morning with that same power. Paul said we were crucified with Christ. So that we could <laughs> delight in his sufferings but also rejoice in his resurrection. So you get up every morning. You got that same power in your hand. That resurrection power. Walk in it, abide in it, go forth in it, be strong in it, and know that if he took on all that, got up in three days, then this thing that I'm allowing to hold me down, I can get up from that too. God bless you guys. I love you, but it's time to get up.